Welcome to the Adult Autism, A Spectrum of Uniqueness podcast, a podcast series for adults on the autism spectrum or those who think they might be autistic. Here's your host, Chris Quarto. Hi, thanks for joining me again. You know, it can be really challenging for an autistic adult to live in a home with a neurotypical person or family. Assuming that you're an autistic person who's listening to this podcast episode, it's, it's difficult enough to deal with your own stuff, but, you know, throw into the mix the, the complexities of, of, you know, interacting with other people at home. Man, it's, it's no wonder why this can stress you out. Well, let me ask you something. How many times have you said these types of things, either to yourself or out loud? I wish they would just shut up. (laughs) Or, could you guys tone it down, please? Or, it would be so nice if I could just have my own space where no one would bother me. And the list goes on, obviously. Here's something that you may not realize. This type of thinking not only creates stress, but it takes a toll on relationships. It's not that it's wrong. It's more like it creates a, a, like a tinted picture window that affects how you see things outside, or in this case, how you see other people. And of course, that'll influence your behavior. In fact, it gets to the point where family members sometimes feel like enemies as opposed to people who value and care for one another. It's really easy to get into a rut of fighting with people, especially people that you come into contact with most frequently. Now, if you're an autistic adult adult who's listening to this podcast episode, this stuff not only applies to you. From a family member or partner standpoint, they start losing tolerance for what they consider to be you know, quirky behavior or, or unusual ways of viewing things that, that lack relevance or practicality or normalcy. And once again, it's not that there's anything wrong with um, their perspective or your perspective. For a neurotypical person, it's just trying to figure out what they need to do to adapt to that kind of behavior, just like um, you as an autistic person has to navigate your way in a neurotypical world. Although I suppose it's possible that nobody feels like they should have to do any adapting and that the other person should be doing it all. But in the end, it's all about being willing to meet one another halfway. So What about that rut of negative interactions that family members get into with one another? Well, it certainly won't make the home environment a pleasant one to live in. If you as the autistic person and the neurotypical family member or partner make it a priority to focus on understanding one another's perspectives, as opposed to just responding responding from that that tinted window perspective I was talking about, then things can change for the better. It's, and I think it's by understanding why a person is responding the way that they do and maybe asking or, or figuring out for yourself what they need in the moment 
that helps everyone deal with strong negative feelings. That's key. It's it's so easy for these, um, you know, these kinds of feelings to to spring up like weeds really quickly when family members do things or say things to to trigger one another. Let's let's consider this example. An autistic mother might go to school to pick up her kids from the after-school programs, after-school program, uh, after a hard day work, day's work. And her children climb into the car. They're all excited because it's time for them to go home. They're hungry. They have all sorts of things that they want to share with the mother about their day. And, of course, the kids start arguing with one another because they want to be first to talk to their mom. And all the while, the mother is covering her ears because of the overstimulation, which just adds insult to injury because of all the stress she's experienced over the course of the day. You know, having to, to talk to people and deal with last-minute changes in, in times for things. And she screams at her children and tells them to be quiet. And the kids look at her almost like they're scared and don't say another word on the trip home. And, you know, after think about what she, thinking about what she's done, the mother feels bad. She feels guilty. She gets down on herself for having once again done something that she promised herself she wouldn't do. Now, it's easy to understand how the situation with the kids could have or would have triggered a strong emotional response in the mother. That's a difficult situation because of the intensity of the sensations. But if the mother could have paused even just for a few seconds and reminded herself that her kids need to talk to her when they're excited about things that they experience and allowed herself to calm down enough to respond in a different way, like, Hey, kids, you'll need to turn it down a notch. Mom had a tough day at work. But Jacob, why don't you start by telling me how, how your day was? Well, and then in that case, family harmony would have been promoted, and, and the mom wouldn't have given herself a reason to get down on herself because she actually handled the situation better than she normally does. And maybe when they arrive home, the mom can remind the kids to use their inside voices or, or maybe she could just put on noise-canceling headphones for a while, which the kids already understand that's one of mom's needs to help her feel good or, as we say in the psychology field, to, to stay emotionally regulated. So taking pause when you feel an impulse to respond in a negative way um, which involves becoming aware of how you react and then tweaking your response or your reaction, that's critical. That, that involves self-awareness too. So this might involve um, counting to 10 before you say something that you'd like to say to the other person. Or as I like to say to one of my clients, uh, to press the pause button. Or it might mean taking five slow, deep breaths and exhaling slowly between each one for the same purpose. Some people um, benefit from doing something different when they feel the urge to act on an impulse that they'll regret later. And you know what? It doesn't have to be anything 
difficult. It could be something as easily as twiddling your thumbs or or maybe listening to a particular song that's your go-to song. Anytime you experience some strong negative emotion or an impulse to say or do something that could create conflict with someone. Now, if you're having trouble regulating your emotions and you don't remember to do these things, then you could write yourself some sticky notes with words or pictures and place them in strategic locations. Like for the mom, she might place a sticky note on the steering wheel of her car with a like a picture she drew of someone's face doing that meditation. You know, something that denotes a, a, a calm state. Or maybe if you're struggling with anger toward your partner or someone else, you could agree to establish a signal with them as, as a reminder that you need to deal with an intense emotion if you, if you don't realize that you're feeling that way. Like maybe they can hold up their hand or whatever you decide would help cue you that, hey, it looks like you're about to say or do something that we agreed that you're going to try working on. This might be a good time to count to 10, take a deep breath. You know, these aren't, these aren't things that the other person would actually say to you, but would be the agreed upon signal that both parties understand ahead of time. You know, if all family members agree to make this a goal and to work on it, and they do it repeatedly, not necessarily perfectly, but at least remain committed to the goal, then the home environment will improve over time. And by the way, this isn't only about you as the autistic adult having to change your behavior. There are plenty of things that a family member or a partner can change about themselves too. Like consider a situation of middle-aged parents who are providing um, a home for their adult autistic daughter to live in. You know, they might be perplexed by the daughter's behaviors when she starts um, unmasking and showing her her true colors, so to speak. Being, being who she truly is instead of covering things up or keeping things under wraps like she usually does to appear, uh, quote, normal. And maybe she's doing this on the recommendation of her therapist so she can be her her authentic self and, and feel better about herself and, and life in general. Well, this unmasking process can be a little nerve-wracking for, um, the, for the child, for the daughter, because she's not sure how her parents are going to respond to them when she doesn't do things the way she's done in the past. But by the same token, the parents aren't sure what they should say or do in response to you know, different types of behaviors, things that they don't see on a, on a real consistent basis because of masking. So it's like they say, you know, what should, I, what should I say to her? This seems so weird, but yet I don't want to say something that'll offend her or make her feel badly about herself or get mad at me. And so everyone in the home may feel like they're walking on eggshells and, and be really careful about what they say or do. Well, that's not uncommon and not necessarily a bad thing as long as 
as long as at some point in time someone brings up the elephant in the room or if it's not really an elephant issue to open up a conversation about uh, behaviors that are difficult for everyone to deal with and and what they can do moving forward to respect one another and promote family harmony now that that discussion might work better if um the parents and their child talk about these issues while say i don't know they they go for a walk somewhere like in the neighborhood so they're not just sitting down looking at one another uncomfortably broaching the topic but are benefiting from movement which is very beneficial for for a lot of autistic folks when they're dealing with sensory sensitivities or complex issues that they find to be stressful the important thing in in these discussions is in this example is for parents not to come across like their child is the one with the problem who needs to adjust their behavior to them but that everyone plays a role in adjusting to one another the same is true for anyone in the family or, or for partners as well now another thing that can promote harmony or uh, in relationships is structure and routine it's not unusual for autistic folks to gravitate toward doing things in the same way day in and day out they like their routines oftentimes and and even find comfort in them and to a certain extent this is true of neurotypical family members too although they might not feel as um we'll we'll, we'll say committed to these things as an autistic person might the more the more routine that can be built into home activities the better regulated that the autistic person will probably be now this doesn't mean that all family members have to fall into a routine rut there can be some negotiating that takes place because in some cases everyone in the home could be affected by the routine and even feel um, trapped by it so family members may feel bored and, and they want they might want to stir things up with a little spontaneity every now and then and it could be a simple thing like even i don't know eating dinner outside if it's nice instead of eating inside at the dinner table you know assuming everyone eats dinner together and i say simple as a neurotypical person but that's not necessarily the case for the autistic family member or partner they might balk at doing something different because you're messing with what i thrive on but it's part of family negotiation and maintaining harmony and ensuring that everyone's needs are addressed as much as they can be anyway you know this is where um this this technique of, of self-talk can come into play if you're an autistic person you could say to yourself all right it's okay it's not the end of the world if they want to eat dinner outside tonight i can deal with this even though it's not sitting really well with me right now on the other hand the, the partner of the autistic person might have to do the same thing by telling themselves something like geez 
Why can't they just be flexible once in a while? Okay, just settle yourself down. I know it's not easy for him to make changes. So I just need to be a little patient. There's probably something that I can do to make this a little easier for him. Remember, staying committed to the goal of family harmony. That's what it's all about. Let's consider an autistic adult who lives in their parents' home and enjoys watching Star Trek or some other television or Netflix show every night. And while their parents or other family members may enjoy doing this as well, once again, they, they might not feel the need to do this all the time. And so there could be some negotiating in terms of television shows or other things that family members might like watching as part of a family activity. You know, part of the negotiation process would have to be whether all family members will watch all the shows or other programs, or if they can do their own things when they want to. Maybe a therapy goal would be for the autistic adult to do things that are out of their routine every now and then, even unexpected changes, you know, to give them opportunities to learn how to regulate their emotions when this occurs. And on the other hand, Family members, partners, they could have goals to learn how to deal with, with the structure and the routine that's so desired by their autistic family member or partner. You know, it's all about understanding and respecting the needs of, of others and negotiating in, in a realistic and, and kind way. It's also possible um, to come up with some creative or, or at least more doable ways of promoting harmony. Like if the parents of the autistic child go for walks with them in the neighborhood as part of their da daily routine, then maybe making that time that they discuss difficult issues whenever they you know, come up could essentially kill two birds with one stone. Sometimes it could help to limit the topics of conversations to things that autistic folks are familiar with or that they like, as opposed to having, you know, too many open-ended conversations about things that are difficult for them to, get, to, to navigate. It can't always be that way, obviously. You know, if, if you, as the autistic person, have trouble talking to people, especially about stuff that's more ambiguous or things that don't come as easily to you, but you know that there's a definite starting and ending point to a conversation, it'll probably help you feel uh, less anxious about things like, what should I say now? Or what the hell do they mean by that? Or when will this conversation end? As a family member or partner of an autistic person, if you know this about the person, then you could structure things a little bit by saying something like, okay, there, there are three things I wanted to talk to you about. And here's the first thing. Okay, now here's another thing. Here's the last thing I, w I wanted to bring up. This is a, a, a clear signal to the person, to the autistic person, the conversation is coming to an end, which can make things a little less confusing or unsettling for them. A lot of this stuff that I'm talking about boils down to a partner or family member 
being respectful of the needs of the autistic person and to be aware that they might have a need for structure and clarity in their conversations and perhaps trying to gear more of the conversations in this way whenever possible. Here's another example. Instead of asking the autistic person, how was your day? It might be better to ask something like, tell me one thing that you did today that you liked most. What did you like about that? Now, having said this, it's just as important for family members or the partner to get their needs met when possible too. And so if you're an autistic person, you should make attempts to participate in open-ended conversations from time to time to, to the best of your abilities. That'll probably get you out of your comfort zone, but it's part of remaining committed to the goal of family harmony where the needs of all family members are met. So to recap this episode, I think it's, you know, it's certainly easy for conflict to occur between an autistic person and, and their partners or family members because they don't always get one another or don't feel like the other person is, is willing to meet them halfway on matters or are interested in what they have to say. Making a commitment to do things a little different, differently than you normally do as the autistic person or as the person's partner or family member in order to promote family harmony, that should be a common goal. And in fact, there's no agreeing um, or tweaking your behavior. Let me say that again. If there's no agreeing or tweaking your behavior, regardless of who you are, then family harmony, that family harmony goal, that's probably not going to happen. And part of tweaking and promoting family harmony is trying to understand how the other person views things, what they consider to be important, and to respect their needs and help them meet those needs. If your focus is on the other person, um, instead of just always on yourself. That's what it's about. And, and by the way, that's not an automatic process. That's an intentional endeavor that everyone has to be committed to, whether you're autistic or neurotypical. Okay, until next time, this is Chris Quarto. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, your uniqueness is awesome.